Intimacy is being seen and known as the person you truly are. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear, dear shit shows. How is it going? For any new listeners, my name is Andrea. I am a big old shit show. And if you are wondering what the hell an adult child is, allow me to tell you. So this definition comes from the the 12-step program, Adult Children of Alcoholic and Dysfunctional Families. Now, mind you, I just want to say there a lot of people think that this term, adult child, is only applicable to people who grew up in an alcoholic family, when the fact is, is that there are so many um, types of families, may I say all families, <laughs> all families, that could produce an adult child. Um, but ACA defines an adult child as someone who responds to adult situations with self-doubt, self-blame, or a sense of being wrong or inferior, all as a result of their childhood experiences. Does that sound like you? Let me give you one more definition. An adult child is someone whose unresolved childhood pain surfaces and plays out in adulthood and not in a good way, okay? Not in a good way. (laughs) There are just so many people out there who don't realize that they're an adult child and who don't realize that the recurring issues that they're encountering in life, whether that's in work or romance or in friendship or in whatever, is 99.999% most likely related to their unresolved childhood shit. And that's why I created this podcast in hopes of reaching those people. Because I used to be one of those people. I spent many, many years in a shitload of pain, specifically in romantic relationships, having no idea that what I was experiencing was complex PTSD. Uh, I realized that I was an adult child after dating two alcoholics named Brian back to back. And if you want to hear that story, go listen to the very first episode of the podcast. If you're new, I highly recommend going to listen to like the first, I don't know, 10 or so episodes, which is where I really dive deep into my story, as well as kind of give the foundation of what the hell an adult child is. So I just feel like you will feel a lot more connected to the podcast and to me if you go listen to those initial episodes. I do want to tell you guys that this past Saturday... I actually had a phone call with the Brian number one. (laughs) So I dated this guy, folks. When did I date him? I think it was like in 2015 when he ghosted me, as you all know. And so to have this phone conversation with him so many years later, so a year and a half ago, about a year and a half ago, he actually reached out to me on Instagram And basically said that he had found me in the podcast and um, basically apologized for, you know, for ghosting me (laughs) and basically said that he had been to treatment twice since since he had ghosted me. And, you know, the reason that he did that was because of his alcoholism. And so now to speak with him on the phone, however many years later, eight years later or whatever, 
I'm a new person. You know, I've really transformed into a new person. And I really was able to really feel that and sit in it while I was on the phone with him. And the fact of the matter is, I am so grateful for him. And I'm sure so many of you listening right now are so grateful for him, right? (laughs) Because he's a large part of this, this origin story. And I asked him, I said, what was it? I was like, was it the drinking? Like, were you afraid that I was going to figure you out? Uh, Was it commitment stuff? And he basically was like, I had been, I was really controlling my drinking around you. Mind you, he was drinking every single time we were together. And mind you, the last time we hung out, he had 16 beers. (laughs) He was a tall guy. He's like, I don't know, 6'5 or 6'6. Um... So if that was controlling his drinking, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, he ju- he said he just couldn't um, he couldn't keep controlling it to only 16 beers. No, he didn't say that part. But um, I can look back truly on my entire life and just see the the divine purpose in in all of the pain that I experienced. So today we are diving deep with Carly Kershaw. So if any of you guys participated in the uh, dysfunctional family detox that Laura Connell put on last week, she was one of the um, one of the speakers, and so she is a relationship coach. I realize that the past few episodes have been romantic relationship heavy. But when I think about it, you know, these conversations are, are truly applicable to all of the relationships that we have in our life. And I think really what it comes down to is, is showing up as our authentic selves and, and cultivating true connection, which is such a struggle for us as adult children. And I just made um, an Instagram reel about this yesterday about how, you know, the, the core issue that we suffer from is this chronic self-abandonment. You know, we are forced as kids to abandon ourselves for the sake of our survival, right? We learn that who we are is not okay and that in order to feel loved and accepted, uh, in order to connect with our caregivers, we're forced to disown certain parts of ourselves and, and mold ourselves into someone that we are not. And this becomes our pattern pattern in life. As adults, we have this compulsive tendency to abandon ourselves for the sake of connection and often for the sake of, of mere crumbs of connection. But the kicker is that this connection that we so desire, that we all desire as humans, it is unattainable because true connection is not possible unless we're showing up as our true selves. You know, true connection requires two whole human beings. And I was reading a blog from um, Adam, who was on last week, Mr. Fixer Picker, and he equated it to a phone call. You know, a phone call requires two functioning phones And self-abandonment is the equivalent of throwing our phone in the trash, thinking that that is going to make it easier for the other person to reach them. And boy, was that my, my pattern for a long time. And so 
that's what this work is about, right? It's about first figuring out who our true self is and unearthing that. And then the second part of the battle is is learning how to show that to other people. So as I shared last week, um, I had a date. And all I'm going to say is that it went really, really, really well. And we've seen each other since then. Um, I do want to keep this one a little bit close to the vest, guys. So I'll just say that, yeah, it's good. And uh, I, I also shared that he said that he had listened to one of the podcast episodes, but he told me that he's actually not going to listen to it anymore. And he wants to get to know me through me. I shared that on the Shit Show Saturday episode, if you heard me. But I just wanted to say, are you listening right now? Let's We'll call you P. P, are you listening right now? <laughs> Um, but this, this episode with Carly really just, it hit home for me. And and I talked to her on Friday, which was, um, it was before I had my second date and, um, yeah, just really, really, really hit home. Just the beauty of, of the relationships that we can cultivate and build when we really are leading from, um, from our authentic self. So I think that you guys are going to get a lot out of this conversation, Um, but first I did just want to talk to you guys a little bit about the new community that I teased last week. So I am hoping that I can get everybody, um, currently in the Patreon switched over by May 1st. In the next day or so, I will have all the information that you guys need to switch over. Um, but just, just want to let you guys know for you guys who aren't members that are going to be members, because what the hell are you doing? Damn the join. Oh, I'm going to start saying it. Damn the join shit show, guys. Not damn the join Patreon. It will be damn the join shit show. This is an all-in-one platform, so I'm switching over to something called Mighty Networks, and this is where we'll be able to have discussion boards going constantly at all times. We're going to be able to form small groups. Uh, there's just a lot of various features, um, within it that I think will just make this a more robust community. There's going to be two tiers where one is just going to be the support groups and then access to the, like the, the community aspect, like the discussion boards and stuff like that. And then there's going to be another tier that will include that plus some additional stuff. So friend of the pod, uh, recurring guest, Barb Nangle, boundaries coach, Barb Nangle has agreed to do a monthly recovery workshop. I will also be facilitating an additional monthly workshop that will be with various podcast guests and subject matter experts. So if you remember Janine Rashidi, who I by accidentally called like, uh, what did I call her? Like Shanine Jahidi or whatever. (laughs) Um, She has her book, Abundance Over Trauma, And she's going to be doing some workshops on her adhere process, which is her trauma modality or trauma healing modality. We're going to have Regina Lawrence, who was our breathwork gal. She's going to be doing something. I'm going to have Michelle Ferris, who was the codependency guru on. So we're just going to be getting all the peeps, all the peeps on to do various workshops there. Um, I'm also going to be having um, goal setting and accountability groups within that tier as well. But at first, I'm just going to be rolling this out to existing community members. And then uh, I will be opening up the shit show for the rest of y'all. But I'm super pumped. I had a, a logo designed for it that I I'm, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, stay tuned for that next Give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at 
Adult Child Pod. And last but not least, give me a five-star rating on Apple, on Spotify. It is a requirement. Thank you. Love you all. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce relationship coach Carly Kershaw. Some of y'all might have uh, are, are, might already be familiar with her, one, through her Instagram, but two, through the Dysfunctional Family Detox. But welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, <laughs> happy to have you here. Um, are you familiar with the term adult child? Oh, yes. I definitely was an adult child. Yes. Well, am or a recovering adult child? I'm a recovering. I definitely was my mother's mother. Mm-hmm. And she lived vicariously through me and I held her as she cried and she shared all of her things that a seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 14-year-old could not even comprehend. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, and then I was told I was an old soul, which is total bullshit. Mm -hmm. It was just that I was- Parentified? (laughs) Yep, yep. That I was trying to take on these ways to make my mom happy. So yes, I totally get that. So one question that I like to start with with guests is- Was there a particular moment when you really realized just how much your childhood fucked you up? I think it was, well, I was a single mom at 17. I was raised Mormon. Oh my goodness. You were raised what? Mormon? Mormon. So I was. Oh, really? Did you grow up in Utah? Yeah, I grew up in Utah in the heart of it. So there was no escaping it. And I. I'm the only one that escaped from my family. But the thing is, is that, so there was a lot of, yeah, my mom had six kids by age 29. Oh my God. Yep. And so, so I grew up in very much the constructs of how women should be, be seen, not heard and all the things. And I also saw one of my biggest pet peeves is people speaking out both sides of their mouth because it's like, oh, live this truth, but then you're doing something completely opposite. All right. So that is a huge pet peeve of mine. And that's why my, my goal, my journey, my heartfelt mission is to be my most authentic self, whatever that looks like. What was your question? I lost. because. <laughs> well, I asked you, what was the moment that you like, okay. realized? but what about this question though? I've, so were you raised, um, were you very segregated? Like, did you grow up just in a, in a solely like Mormon community? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I think that I met one Catholic person, which I would be drawn to, I would be drawn to different people that had different ideology, because I was so inundated with all of what, how I had to be. And it was, yes, it was Monday night, family night, it was, you know, three hours of Sunday school, we it was everything. And did you so, have an awareness that that was diff- like, did you think that that was everybody or you knew it was a little bit different? No, because I always intuitively felt that something was wrong because as I mm. said, I could see people living one way and then doing other things. And so I was so confusing to me, like, what is truth? What is right? What is wrong? And then as I, I'm just going to speak to my religious trauma that I was taught to fear the devil, like literally fear the devil. And I would have nightmares and anxiety around this. And that's where my parents would say, that's because you have a higher understanding and the Holy Ghost is trying to help you understand. And so that was confusing to me too, but I would have, I would have literally nightmares with the devil. Mm -hmm. And so I, I did as we do, Andrea, not Andrea, Andrea, that we, we normalize these things because again, it's all we know. And yet, so 
But I knew that I wanted to raise my children differently, even though I was a single mom at a very young age. And I, I felt like I was underparented, so I overparented. And because I felt there was so much dishonesty that I was too honest, because we often go the opposite extreme. And I wanted to provide something that my, I didn't get as a child to my to my children. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is because, and I didn't understand it in my 20s, how codependent and what a people pleaser I was, I started getting really angry about 34 years old. Mm. And I started getting very angry and really understanding. And my, I, my physicality, I broke down because I was going and going running from my past. And so I had to really stop and look at myself. And even my son said, Mom, you're so angry. This isn't like you. And so I really had to say, where is this anger coming from? So I think when the anger was coming forward in such a way where I couldn't even pinpoint it, I had to really look at myself because I'm not an angry person innately, but I had locked so much of and normalized so much of myself um, that that's when I really started when my son called me on my anger that this wasn't me. So 17, you have a kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Were you, did you get married at that point? Well, my dad told me that if I give the child up, he's going to adopt it. And abortion was definitely not a thing. So I felt very locked into choice as that as well. So yes, I did get married because I was told that I needed to. It was just the way it was. I was told you can't shame your family. So I married knowing that it wasn't the right thing to do. And again, I was falling exactly into my parents' footsteps, which I said I would never do because my mom and dad got pregnant, 17. Mm -hmm. And you know, we say we'll never do, but that's what, we what we're brought So I did that, yes. And then I was out of that marriage a year later. On my and literally on my own. But I was on my own at 14. I mean, I was literally on my own. And so that's another identity I took on. You cannot depend on anyone. No one is true of their word. So I had all these really strong identities that I was projecting out into the world. Yeah. Talk some more about what then what it was like growing up in your home. So where were you out of, you said you had six siblings or you were yeah. one of six? Mm -hmm. I have three older sisters and two younger siblings. And we're all so different. And, and I don't know about you and your siblings, but like I'm an only six, child. You're the only child. Okay. That's right. I do remember that, which is hard in so many ways because I, the, that you had to carry it all. And yet it is, it is amazing because I have a couple of estranged siblings that are just the victim to all of things. And then we have other, my siblings, and especially my two sisters, we, our experience was so different. Mm -hmm. And like this dysfunctional family detox, I, I know the sister that was scapegoating, you know, that was scapegoated. I know the brother that was, and I was the golden child. And my mother, like I said, lived vicariously through me, which made my sisters hate me. So I felt so alone and I didn't, and I have realized that I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for any of it, yet I was ostracized. I felt so alone in that. My sisters hated me. And so I would be, you know, holding my mother and bathing my mother as my sisters were jealous of me, but I'm in the bathroom at seven years old bathing my mother. And so we've talked about this openly. And my eldest sister was my dad's right hand. And so she was, you know, my dad there. And so my brothers were envious of that, but my sister had to take that on when my mom left. She had to become the woman of the house. And so, I mean, I can't stress enough how much I normalized my dysfunctional family and how it played out. And that's 
when I started getting angry and my body started breaking down and I started doing things, getting sick of my own patterns, I really had to look at my family. And, and so a few of us, I would say two of my siblings, two of my sisters, we, we have really understood the role that we played. And my sister also played as sisters against each other. She talked about our bodies. Mm-hmm. My sister has always had a weight issue. My mom would give her a quarter every day to buy an apple. Mm. I mean, so I can go on and, and my other sister said, how dare you talk about our family? But you know what? This is my experience. This is my experience. And I know how it's affected me. And we all have to understand from a loving place. I'm not, I love my parents. They're not with us, but you know what? I also can accept and understand how it affected me. Yeah. And they're just a product of their upbringing. You know, that's right. That's right. And it's not about blame. It's just about understanding the causes and conditions that made us the way that we are. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know there are, are, and this is, and I know you can understand this too, Andrea, that there are some parents that were absolutely horrific Mm -hmm. and I get that. And so I'm not taking away from that. Yeah. 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 And yet, you know, um, we all grow up, all of us in a level of dysfunction and abuse on some level. And as that's why I'm so passionate about this work as are you, because it is our responsibility. I'm not, I'm not blaming my parents, but I want to wake up to this one life that is mine with what I was given and not given as a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can really relate to that. Cause you know, I grew up with an alcoholic mom and an emotionally unavailable father, but you know, my parents weren't, you're absolutely right. Like there are some people who really, endured some horrendous, horrendous, horrendous shit. Uh, And so while I say, I don't know, just for me, I know that I truly do know that my parents did the best they could. Was it good enough? No, you know, but I don't think that they were intentionally trying to harm me. Um, But I understand that that's not everyone's experience, you know? Yeah. 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 I've learned that. And I, so I never want to take away and I don't, I know, you know, anyone's experience and, and yet, um, again, I'm going to come back to, it's our responsibility to heal this little one within. I always talk about the little inner child and I've been talking to this little inner child, this little girl for years, helping her understand who she is as a woman and who she is beyond the faith that she was brought up and beyond the I mean, my parents married and divorced each other twice. There were people coming, going, <laughs> coming in and out. It was, and I said, I would never do it, but I did it. I, I did, you know? And so that's where we have to have the compassion for ourselves to understand. And so I could have lived in that anger forever, right? We can live in the anger and the victimhood, or we can say, fuck that. No, this is my life. I want to choose with what I was given or not given. I want to choose from there. And that's why I know we both are passionate about this work, but that's, that's my heart's mission. So talk about, so 34, that's when all this anger like comes Mm -hmm. out. What did this, how did this healing journey unfold for you? Well, actually it started around 31 because I had my body literally broke down and I was very physically fit. I was focusing on controlling my world. I became the survivalist. So everything was like, dee, dee, dee. you know, I had to make sense of my world by compartmentalizing. And so my fitness and pushing and pushing 
which was a total avoidance of self. It was totally avoidance of self. If I sat still long enough, then all these things would come in. And, you know, I had two kids. I was working. I've, so I was, I was surviving my life. So at 31, I ran a marathon. I broke down for a year, so I couldn't move, and I had to really face myself. So that's, I think, when it first started. And so, yeah, I had to be, I had to face myself. And that's when I called my parents. That's when this journey started. And I said, I love you both. And yet I realized that I actually do have a lot of rage in me. Mm-hmm. It hadn't exhibited to my children yet, mm-hmm. but I had rage in me and I couldn't even explain it because I've always been the happy person. But that was also of a persona that I took on to make sense of my world. And so my body broke down and that's when I really had to face. So I called my parents and I said, I am, I am, and this is just, no one put me there. I've just known this since I was a little girl. I saw things and felt things um, good or bad, but I, I said to my parents, I love you, but there are things that I know that have happened in my childhood that I'm going to have to come to you and I'm going to say things and I'm not asking you to fix them or tell me otherwise. I need you to know this is my truth. And both of them said, yes, that didn't, that's not how it played out, mind you. Okay. But of course, but yeah, but for some, I mean, I had this within me as I always have, I'm a seeker of truth and I grew up in a a life of falsehood. And so I said that to them and, and, and that's where I did start to create some distance and boundaries with my parents, because I talk about this a lot with clients that I would, I would be, I was the one that moved away. The only one. So I would go back to Utah, hoping to hoping something would be different with my siblings and my parents. Yeah. The great fantasy. So I felt like a sitting duck out there over and over again. And I would put my kids in that position as well. And so that's when I said, no more, no more. And that's where I said, I've got to start seeing my parents as they are rather than who I wish them to be. Cause I was creating suffering for Mm. myself and for my children. So that's when it started with them. When I had that physical breakdown where for a year I couldn't move. And so it was interesting. And that's where I started teaching yoga. And that's where I started understanding yoga philosophy, which is a lot of life coaching, stripping away identities and falsehoods and really understanding self. So that's where it happened. But as you know, it goes through layers. And I hadn't really addressed how I'd lost myself being a mother. Mm. I saw my mom lose herself as a mother. And so that's where the anger started building. And then I was doing everything on my own. Because I learned to not depend on anyone. That was definitely an identity that I took on that I can't depend on anyone. So I did it alone. And it's exhausting being a single mom and working and running eight miles a day. And so I was freaking exhausted. But I had a belief of that. So I pushed anyone that wanted to help me away because that's what we do. So I was getting angry. And that's where I got, and and my sweet son said that to me. So yeah, that's where it all started. And it's been layer after layer after layer. Has anything come up for you recently that's been significant? Yes. How do you know? You can feel that, can't you? (laughs) No, it's interesting that um, because I'm a people pleaser and a codependent, right? We, I learned to, I was always looking externally for my validation or approval. And that definitely stopped around that age 35. I started looking internally and yet I have been made wrong many times in my life because I am so open and I think you can Mm -hmm. relate to. Mm -hmm. And so, and yet I also show up in truth and kindness and boundaries. And some people just will make me wrong for that. That's happened my whole life. It just really has. And also being a woman um, 
women are just funny that way. So I, but I have worked so hard on not being affected by the external world. Cause I know that when we're solid within ourselves, we're less. However, just recently I was made very wrong. And I, I know because I, this is what I do for a living. I understand psychology, but it is, it is, it is no, actually, I'm going to say this cause I'm a straight shooter. My sister, the strange sister made me very wrong. She said, I'm monetizing on my parents when she, mm. didn't, she didn't even show up to my mother's funeral. So she's now making me wrong, but I, I'm not monetizing anything on my parents. This is my experience. This is my experience. And then this other woman has made me very wrong because she, it, and it's a long story. So it, it took me back into that place where it doesn't matter how good, how honest, how truthful you are, and people can just make you wrong. And so it was like that old identity just reared its ugly head. And I had to remember the source because this is what I teach and what I live. If you are showing up in integrity and your values and who you are, people are going to make you wrong because most people aren't showing up in that authenticity. And so it's just a projection and a reflection. And, and yet I caught myself in, I'm like, Oh, Carly, you've been here. You don't need to go there again. But I want to also say, and you know, this too, those triggers are still alive in us as much work as we do. They stay, they stay alive in us, but we can catch ourselves. We can call bullshit on it. We can say, nope, come back to your truth and understand that people are all looking from their own lens, their own, their own traumas, their own situations. So I had to regroup this last week in a big way. <laughs> well, that's really cool though, that it sounds like you do have a few siblings that are kind of, that are also like yes. on a healing journey. Mm -hmm. That's gotta be pretty beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. My sister that's just older than me um, has done work with me. And when she came into my mastermind a few years ago, she said, do you understand that you're my greatest source of pain? Mm. But it was because now she realizes how my mother pitted us against each other. And how my mother made me the golden child and live vicariously through me. And so my beautiful sister that I respect and love more than anything, even though we're very different in certain ways, but that was a great understanding for her and for me. And, and, and now, and I don't think she was ready to understand and receive the pain that I had to carry being my mother's emotional support and being my mother would isolate me from my sisters to be there for her. And yet from a child's perspective, my sweet sister was going, oh, well, she's better. She's prettier. She's smarter. But that wasn't the truth. I was being groomed into this perfect little person that could make my mom feel good. Mm -hmm. And so we finally have that understanding. And that's beautiful to me. I'm going to cry because I just get so much about this stuff because it's been painful. And painful it's been painful that my mother lived through me and then it was very isolating and I, I I just want my siblings to understand that and I want to understand their pain and I wish that's what this work is about is just seeing each other in our humanness mm -hmm. sorry to cry I'm not sorry to no, cry I'm, I'm not sorry to cry but, it, but it's been lonely and I've been blamed. I've been blamed for what my mother did. And I, I didn't ask for that. And if it were, to, if I knew better, I would have said, please, no. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that perspective of it, right? Because you think about, you often think about like the scapegoat. You know, I was very much like the scapegoat and the identified patient, but the impact on on the golden child, like on the hero child, you know, like that impact as well is really heavy. It is. Because like I said, I I have released these identities that weren't even mine. A type A perfectionist, all the things that I, I became because I had to be for my mother's, you know, gratification in her life. That was, it was about my mom's unmet needs. And so I had to release my mother's unmet needs so I can decide what my needs are. And I, <laughs> I was just telling a client yesterday that my mom had to have every little knickknack perfect, but the things on the rug, you know, after vacuuming, everything had to be perfect. Carly had to be perfect because it was a reflection of her. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love imperfection. I love everything a little askewed. I like a little crumbs on the floor. I'll take my jammies off and just let them fall. And like, I love you, mom, but this is me. <laughs> so what what was your um mo when it came to romantic relationships mm. well that has been that has been definitely my challenge um i have had a lot of failed relationships i've hurt a lot of men in my life there's no doubt and but my also my mom also would talk about the power of my beauty mm. So there was a lot of manipulation in my mother's way of operating. And I, I thought that that's what you did. Right. Um, so, so being that I was also raised Mormon and the way that women show up that, you know, and then that we were never talked about college education. It was always be the, the, the strong woman behind the strong man. Mm-hmm. And so that's it. And it still happens today. When I go home, I see all these young pregnant teenagers and and young people that are starting families that don't know who they are. And so you can cut that out if you want or not. But the thing, the thing is that, um, so that's what I thought the role was, even though I knew better in my intuition, my heart, but that was it. I, you know, I had kids and I fell into that sort of entrapment that I wasn't really choosing. I was just going in because it's what I knew. And so, but I wasn't choosing partners at all. I was choosing partners for my core wounds and just being that comfort or being whatever it was. And so I did. I've been married three times, two kids. And this was, you know, and I, I have no shame in, about my past because I absolutely know that I'm the product of what mm-hmm. I was. And so, and yes, and failed relationships. And then I got into a relation and I thought men were dime a dozen. And I would always, I was definitely the runner, the anxious avoidant. So I loved love. Oh my God. I love love. This idea of love. This is Kiki. Hi Kiki. (laughs) And, and yet I also was scared to death by love because love was very um, interchangeable or it left a lot growing up. It was like we just put in that partner. And I mean, I witnessed it with my own parents. And so I would always have one foot in and one foot out relationships. So I would run before they could hurt me. I had an abandonment wound, all of that. So, mm. so I, then the relationship that really tore me apart was absolute trauma bond, complete. And I didn't understand this, obviously. So everything has served its purpose for my work as for you as well. But it was, it was a, energy that I couldn't even explain before 
When was this relationship? This relationship was early 40s. Okay. Yeah, it was 40. It was 40. And so so I'd already gone through a lot of failed relationships and would go from relationship to relationship, always searching for that love that I didn't get growing up, always searching for that uncertainty that I didn't get growing up. But I was looking again as a codependent people pleaser externally. I hadn't done to really understand, even though I had done 10 years of this work prior. So again, we all grow and understand. And I had all, I had mastered all sorts of partners in my life, but romantic relationship, no. So the relationship that came along was a trauma bond. And it was exactly because that is what I've understood now about the subconscious mind and how the subconscious mind is playing out most everything we do in our belief system. And we can have all this knowledge, but it is 95% of everything we believe and think is being projected out in life. And I was still looking for that unmet need, that elusive love, that conditional love that my dad gave me. And he was an absolute reflection of that. And I thought this chemistry, because I never, I never felt chemistry, but that's what people don't understand is that chemistry, this, this pull, this draw is often from our core wounds. It's from our subconscious mind recreating the same pain and infliction that we had. And we're trying to rewrite the story, but that's exactly what happened. I was so into him and drawn to this, this elusive love. And it was a complete trauma bond. And I lived it for four years. And it was the most painful. I relived that pain again and again. He would take me to my knees every week. And I was, and, and most people knew me as the strong, I mean, strongest woman, so together, so, uh, but this, I know it needed to happen. So I, I absolutely know that that was mm-hmm. what needed to happen. But it was, it was awful. I recreated that pain again and again. So when people say, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? And I've gone through a lot of hardship, but that is walking away from a man I loved. Mm because I had to save myself Mm. and yet it's given me so much insight because I would never fall in love with a narcissist maybe she would but I would never so I was still in my own ego around that and but what understanding is again that's where this compassion comes in is understanding exactly what was playing out is my childhood and all the beliefs that I had and that's what, it, that's really what I help my clients understand. It's like compassion. It's like, it did happen to me because I'm human and I was given what I was given and not given what I wasn't given. And it was playing out. Mm-hmm. And so that was my greatest wake up call. And so that's when people go. So I found the love of my life at 46 years old. And that's what people like, really, it gives them hope. But I had to go through all of this to understand I'm curious, I'd love to hear about like the origin story of you and your husband and kind of what that, what the relationship looked like in the beginning and how you navigated things. Yeah. Thank you. He's not my husband yet. We're, we're mm-hmm. fiance. But um, here's the thing, and this is what I want to say, because when we truly own our story mm-hmm. and we really understand who we are and what's playing out, and we're not showing up with all these masks and pretenses and dating. Mm-hmm. So I honestly, so I broke up with my ex. My mother passed. I broke up in April. My mother passed or got sick in August. So it was a year of hell. My mom passed December 1st. 
So it was a year of just like hell. So I had to step away from my life and really just be with myself. And that was the first time because I've always, no matter how I feel, I've shown up for others. So I stepped away and I allowed myself to fall apart. Mm-hmm. I really allowed myself to fall apart. And, and Andrea, did I know that I was healed mm-hmm. to reach out and start dating? Mm-hmm. Because that is, that is never the case. Yes. And so yet I decided I'm going to put myself out there on the apps. And yes, I met Michael and he's the most amazing man on the apps, Bumble. But the thing is, is I was so honest. I got so clear about what I wanted. I got so clear about my values. I got so clear about my pain points, my triggers, my core wounds. And of course, I was doing a lot of work in myself in this. But the thing is, I was completely honest with him, completely. And I said to him, I'm still, I'm still healing, healing from this, this relationship. I still have a lot of triggers. And so he's such a man. But I also talked to my values. Like we talked for two hours on our first conversation after connecting on Bumble. I, we connected and I got on the call. I mean, I was very honest with him where I was at in my life and what I had gone through, what I was clear about what I wanted and how I moved, wanted to move forward. And to me, that integrity, honesty, all the things I talked about, my values. And he met me there and he was so kind and open and talked about these things. And he, and he talked openly about his past relationship and the lack of trust that happened there. So we met each other humanness are we frozen again now you're back so we met each other in our humanness which is really how i help my clients i mean it's really important that we understand and meet ourselves in our humanness and that's when we can feel confident and and safe to invite another into our humanness mm-hmm. but we have to accept it first and that's what it is that we're still most of us looking outside for them if they accept me then i'm good enough but we have to accept ourselves. So I, I knew that that man needed to come into my life as awful as it was for me to look at those other parts of myself that I had not. And, and here's the thing, Michael so attracted to me because I knew who I was, I shared my truth. I showed identity and he's like, wow, this woman really knows who she is. Even though he came from a very conservative background, even though we all have this but I was, I was forthright. And I said, this is where I'm at. And I know I want a loving, healthy relationship. And I'm not, this is what I will not accept. This is what I want. This is what I'm capable of. And he really met me in that. And that is, and, and the thing is that I keep asking Mike to do podcasts with me and videos, but he's not on social media at all. But he, for him to say the impact that I've had on his life, inviting him into the space of my pain, mm. inviting him to the space of my truth and my healing has allowed him to look at himself and feel love like he's never known and learn how to express. He's like, this is, you express yourself in such a way that it's allowed him to express himself. And it, he said, and it's amazing because his whole company has realized that he can now meet people in their humanness mm. in a different way because I invited him into that space of my humanness. And that's what I wish us we, that we could all do is really love ourselves in our humanness with what we were given and not, and then share our truth and our story and invite people into that because 
I also want to say that that's also where my journey started 20 years ago, 21 years ago, as I invited women into my living room when I started teaching yoga. Mm -hmm. So these women's circles that have become something different that I don't know, but it is, I just shared my truth and my stories. And I, and people would say, thank you, because now you're giving me the space to, to, to do that because I've been so ashamed. Mm -hmm. I've been so ashamed. And that's, so I, that's what I'm saying is that I had to own my own story and my own truth to invite people in. And that's the power of honesty and human connection in our stories. Yeah. So I, I just had a date on Tuesday um, and it was amazing. And it was like, what you're talking about is like very much how I felt. Like I felt so seen. Um, and it's really fucking scary, Carly. <laughs> it's really fucking scary. And that's where, when I do the work with my clients, especially women, and then they have someone that actually shows up and sees them, like everything you wanted, right, Andrea? Everything you wanted. But you're like, oh my God, I, I this scares me and I will hold you. In the truth, this is what you've always desired. Mm. And, the, and I will tell you, and I can promise you, and I can promise every woman and man that, or however you identify that, the right person is going to love you in all of your humanness. Mm. I mean, I can't, I, I, I can't say that more strongly loud enough because if someone can see the beauty of you and all the layers of your trauma, of your inadequacies, of your perfect imperfection as being human as we all are, then that, that is the most beautiful thing you can ask for. Mm -hmm. And that's what I have today. You don't want a man that's just going to find the surface aspects of you beautiful because that's, that's, that's not love anyway. And that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love about Michael is that he could see the depth in my pain, in my understanding of my pain. Now, if I was just over here being victim to life, that would be a different mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. But I can say, this is who I become. This is how I understand myself to be. These are my triggers. So I, uh, in a way, and I have to say this, I was giving him a roadmap and yet he, he has been honored. He has been honored as a healthy masculine man. And I just want to say that, that they want to hold us in that. If we can feel safe in that and give them that roadmap. What do you, do you want to elaborate on what you mean by that? Yeah. Cause people ask me this all the time. Well, how could you feel safe after what you've been through? Mm -hmm. Um, I had to feel safe within myself first. Mm -hmm. I had to understand my wounding, stop normalizing. I had to understand what was being projected out into life, all the things. So I had to feel safe within myself. And that is the biggest thing because most of us are looking outside of ourselves for that validation, for that self-worth, for that love that we didn't get when we were children. Mm -hmm. And so I had to turn it inward. And I had to be so, and I, I'm going to add this to it. I had to be, I got so tired of my own bullshit. Mm -hmm. I got so tired of my relational patterns and making it about him or making it about whatever. Because again, we are the common denominator in our relationships and all things. And so that's when I had to be real with myself and understand who I am and then get clear about what I wanted. So that's where I identified my values 
I identified how I wanted to feel because you also, I'm Andrea, that I was a mother at 17 and a mother of two at 23. So I didn't even know what it was to be a woman mm-hmm. beyond being a mother. And be, I was a mother to my mother. So I've literally had to identify my sensuality, my sexuality, my what it is to be a woman, what are my needs as a woman, not the constructs of society or Mormon faith or what I witnessed. Mm-hmm. I had to understand. So I got so clear. I knew without a doubt that I wanted a healthy, sexual, intimate relationship. I said, I know that I want someone with a growth mindset because there's no way that someone can exist. So I got so clear about my values and how I wanted to feel in relationship. And I communicated that to him Mm -hmm. in our first conversation. I did. And yet that, like I said, people are attracted to our essence, got to feel safe in allowing someone to be attracted to your essence. And that means all the layers of you. Do you understand? Even your trauma side self and, and the way you put yourself out in the world. Cause I think it's pretty freaking courageous and, and, and you are a lot of women as I am. And so there, you have to have a lot of man that can hold. I believe that you have to know yourself first and what it is you want. And then you have to show up intentionally in all in all conversation with people and you've got to keep coming back to, okay, am I getting lost in this love bombing, this affirmation? Am I looking to be validated or does this person really meet me in the values and what it is that I want in a person? And that's the thing. What I have found with women mostly is it is the damnedest thing. It's like, they're waiting to be chosen by someone that they don't. Yeah, I just was watching a video. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, they don't even like the qualities in them. Yeah. But the greater thing is, is I just want to be chosen. And that's the saddest thing. And so, so in that, in not losing yourself, what I always, you know, first of all, with my clients, we get to the root of why. And it goes back to our childhood 100%. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to argue that with anyone because it does. Absolutely. And how we developed our sense of self. And our ideas around love and attachment. And most of us are, it is mostly about attachment. It's really not about love. We are just looking to attach to another and to feel love, to feel whatever it was. And so that's what I first want to say. However, when we do this work and we understand, we stop normalizing. We start understanding how we developed our sense of self. We start looking internally rather than externally because we are the cause and effect of our life we are the creator of our life and so and then getting so clear in your values and what you want and then you start speaking to them and i know it's very uncomfortable in the beginning and that's why i hold my clients so close Mm -hmm. but the thing is is that the more you show up in truth rather than mask pretense or in some ways you, I think you said, what did you call it? Traumatized, trauma, like, like, like a trauma, trauma, um, dumping, dumping. Yeah. And so when you understand yourself that you're not testing, cause a trauma dumping is a testing. It's like, I'm going to show you all my ugly parts. And if you love me then, or you want to have a second date with me, then that means I'm okay. So there's still approving in that. For me, I think a lot of it is like trying to like, um, connect in an uncomfortable way to like in an unhealthy way too, and almost um, trying to 
manufacture a level of intimacy that isn't appropriate immediately. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And I hear you in that. And, and the thing is though, that is false pretense. That is projection. That is a masking that's inauthenticity. Mm -hmm. And so, and yes, we all have our ways that we protect ourselves or that we test people or that we learned whatever. So that, that is the thing. And that's why I getting to the root of why we do these things. But, and then also, so when I get people out there dating, I also say, this is an explorative state. You are in an exploration of this new person with these new understanding. And so, yes. So, so I'm like a, in their back pocket as they're projecting and protecting and all the things. And so it does take time for us to be able to implement and integrate this work and trust ourselves, especially when it comes to dating and finding a partner. Right. And so, so that's where, and here, and you know this, but the brain will find evidence to whatever we believe. Mm -hmm. And so if you think I'm not worthy of love, or you think I have to protect myself, that is what's going to be projected out. So that's why we get to the root of that. And then for my clients, it often becomes, it's not really real in the beginning. Meaning, because you don't, this is so foreign to you. And, and yet, we can recreate new neural pathways, new confidence in taking new action. So it's not a one and done, and it's not a short term thing. It takes time and practice and compassion above and beyond anything, compassion. When I, it was probably the first six months to a year of our relationship where I was still in PTSD from my past relationship. I was still in a triggered state. I was still all of it. However, I told him that mm -hmm. I said, and he was completely confused because men are completely confused by us. Emotional things. <laughs> but the thing all the time, but the thing is, is that I wasn't of the ego at that point because I understood my trauma. I understood my beliefs. I understood. And I wasn't going to make him wrong for making him wrong. Mm. I wasn't going to project my shit out onto him. So I said to him in those moments where I feel jealous, cause I'm not a jealous person, but my ex would definitely make me feel that way. So that, but, but I owned it. Mm -hmm. And, and as a very confident woman in most of my life, I owned it because I wasn't of the ego. So I own that. I said, one of my triggers is such. And then I also have an abandonment wound. And so when you leave a conversation and you leave me reeling, I, it goes way deeper beyond you, honey. It goes way deeper beyond you. It's in my body. And I need you to understand that. So when you feel frustrated, don't leave me. Mm. I need you to just, and then he'd say, what do you need from me? Just put your arms around me. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to tell me how wrong I am or what, what you're doing. Cause it goes way beyond you. And so that's what I wish everyone could understand. And that is how I help my couples understand is that it's really not about the person. Our pain lives in our body. It lives in our subconscious mind. And this person is just reflecting and being that mirror for you. But if you don't tell that person, then how do they know how to show up for you? And vice versa, it goes both ways. Bringing that full circle is that being in a conscious partnership and conscious container, uh, relationships are our greatest masterclass of life. It is reflecting back all of our pain. Mm -hmm.
all of our unmet needs. And yet we are, we are expecting our partner to meet our unmet needs. That's impossible and it's unfair. So that's why we understand our own unmet needs, our, our trauma, our triggers. And if we can share that, because I guarantee, and I've seen this a thousand times over with my couples that the other person on the other side of the table also comes with their own things. So you are opening up a beautiful dialogue for healing, for understanding, and not making it about each other, and realizing that I'm projecting all of my unmet needs, my dysfunction onto you, and I don't want to do that. So if you can understand, and how can you be there for me, and then vice versa, how can I be there for you when you're projecting your insecurities, your unmet needs? And that's how you heal. I mean, like I said, it through relationship, it is the greatest opportunity to heal, but it takes two people to have this understanding. Mm -hmm. What about um, tips or when you're working with, with clients, specifically like in early stages of a relationship, um, practices, tools to really, you know, maintain that connection with self Mm -hmm. and also like, you know, tips and tools on, and on how to show up as our best self, like on a date. Well, here's the thing though, because most of us are codependent that we're always looking to the partner. I I hear what you're saying in partnership. You're talking about relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But most of us are looking like if my partner's happy, then I'm good. Yeah. That's not what I'm asking. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know, but I'm giving you tips, but I'm saying most people, I'm not saying you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have to, if we can focus on ourselves, making, showing up for ourselves, mm. not in a selfish way, but really understanding how we can show up for ourselves, knowing that then we can give to our partner. So that's, that's rudimentary. I know, but it's, it is such, some of the simplest things are totally lost on people. And I just want to say that with love, but they are. And then also, as I said, saying to so I teach my couples like when they get into a heated space and you're not even hearing each other understanding that there's something much deeper going on mm-hmm. it's not talking about it's not even the argument that's being had whether it's the dishes sex or whatever you said or didn't say there's there's because as I said earlier the pain already exists in our body and that is what's coming up so this is what I teach like in the simple early stages like you know, what's really going on here? What are you feeling? How, how can I show up to support you in what you're feeling? And you ask questions rather than, but the unfortunate thing is because all of us are wounded and have our own very limited lens that we look through, we internalize it and make it about us. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for us to show up in that moment to ask the questions because we already we're already shutting down thinking that it's something that we did wrong or that we're not good enough or that we're not worthy. And so if if everyone could understand again, okay, I'm shutting down to protect that was me and where I'm saying F you because I'm out. And, and so, but instead, if you, first of all, I'm going to jump back that two people need to be fundamentally aligned in their values and what they want. Two people, like, I can't tell you how many people are in relationships. People say, I don't want a relationship. And they're in a relationship with someone. So there's that. And that's on you. That's fully on you. And I say that with love. 
But if two people are working on a relationship, but it is understanding that as human beings, and I say this, this is definitely, we are little children in adult bodies. And that we are bringing our stuff at mostly at an unconscious level into relationship because romantic relationships bring out all of our stuff. It asks more of us than anything to be vulnerable. So if two people could communicate those things in the beginning and let's say, hey, you know what? We're fundamentally aligned. We have the great potential here. Let's understand that we're both bringing our childhood, our beliefs about love, relationship, health and vitality, abundance. We all have our money story. Let's see if we can, instead of making each other wrong, that we can hold each other in that space. And then when we do have those blow-ups that we understand that, yeah, you may have pissed me off with that, but there's a deeper underlying unmet need that's being played out. And so that's the thing that was so huge for Michael is understanding because he just so wants to make my world right, but I don't need him to make my world right. I want to make my world right, but I also make my world right was identifying my own shit and letting him know and not making it about him. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments, like I said, and when he's kicking the dog because he did not grow up, he grew up with absolutely no emotion expressed. Everything was swept under the rug. And here I am, this very <laughs> emotive person. And, and so when he kicks the dog, I'm like, instead of making it about me, I'm like, what's going on? What do you need? To, what do you need to get out of your body? What do you need to say? And so that's what I would say in the early stages is just having that understanding as an individual and then as a couple and then inviting the, the thing for me is inviting each other into the space mm. of humanness. Mm -hmm. What about making sure that we're not being blind to red flags? Well, again, it goes back to everything I say. We have to understand ourselves. We have mm -hmm. to understand our unmet needs because if we didn't feel loved, we didn't feel worthy of love, then we are going to be searching for that love and we will take breadcrumbs and we will take anything that feels like love. Mm -hmm. Loved. I used to love the crumbs. <laughs> I, know, I know. And, and that's the thing though. So that's where that's, that's a big conversation, Andrea, that is, that's coming back to the work that we do is really understanding and not normalizing and, and knowing that we are whole and worthy and we always have been, but we just weren't given that what we needed as children. And so whenever, and I'm going to say this, whenever you are waiting to be chosen, that is the strongest red flag. And it has nothing to do with that mm -hmm. person. It is the biggest red flag for yourself, that it is time for you to choose yourself. But the thing is, it should feel not easy, but it should feel rather simple. It just should be. It shouldn't be like waiting to be chosen, waiting to prove yourself, waiting. Because the right, the right person, please hear me, everyone, without a doubt, the right person is going to love you in all of your humanness. Everything you've been through, all that you are, all of your whatever too muchness is. I'm a lot of woman. Mm -hmm. And Michael loves my allotness. And and I brought such richness to his life as mine. And so the right person is going to see the beauty of you in all of your humanness. And you never have to fight for someone that is right or fight for love. That is the right person for you. That is a hundred percent. And I can say that and I will take that to my grave. There is no doubt. 
Mm, it's beautiful. True. So talk about your course that's coming out. My course has been, you know, I mean, I have just been doing this work from my heart and, and yet I've understood the impact and I had to, and I'm going to say this, Andrew, too, that because I was brought up being seen and not heard, that's what my dad would say to me all the time, play small. It was just such a part of who I am. And yet I have learned to really step into my heart, my voice, my struggles, my truth. And so this is 20 years of my education and my pain and everything I've gone through is that I'm pouring into this course and it's healing heartbreak and it's healing heartbreak of the past because our heart, our childhood was great heartbreak for most of us. And then it's led to just more and more. And that's why, so it's healing heartbreak. So it's from our childhood, but also healing heartbreak from all the ways that played out. And then it's identifying your relational pattern and healing your relational pattern, relational pattern, because that's what I did for so long. I kept repeating the same pattern. Did it show up in a different way with a different face? But it showed up. And that's why, I mean, that's why I do this work. I, I went through a lot of pain and suffering. And I also hurt a lot of people along my journey. And so I've made amends and I've forgiven myself, which is so much a part of this work. And, and that's why I impart all this wisdom on people. So that's my course coming up. And I'm excited to share it with you. That's awesome. And then what else do you have going on? Well, I have, I'm creating a new, I'm creating a community, which I, I know that we heal in community. I've been in a community for the last few years and it's just, it, because we do, we feel so, I know I felt so alone in my story for so long and there's shame in that because when we feel alone, like we're the only one and then we shame ourselves in it, it's very isolating. I can isolate like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to really um, step outside of that. So I'm creating a community where people can come in and I'm going to be doing live. I'm doing trauma work. I'm going deep. I am doing the modalities that I've learned that have helped me and helped my clients. And also just, just sharing our stories and having tools and saying, I see you because we all, I know without a doubt that we are all connected heart and soul. And yet many of us, because of our own pain or the divisiveness that's happening out in the world, you know, we just isolate and that, that only takes us deeper into those dark places. And so I, I just would love for people to show up and, and I'm going to have you show up. I hope Andrea, just to be one of the experts, because I'm going to bring experts in and, and we can just all connect because I, like I said, it's no one has to do this alone. No, no. Yeah. The best part of this all, you know, yeah. I think mm -hmm. it makes all the pain worth it based off the relationships that we get to build with people through healing. So, well, and, and also you're right. And the thing is, which I said to a few people in this, um, how we, you and I came together in this dysfunctional family detox retreat, family doesn't have to be blood. Mm -hmm. Family is people who are aligned and that can show up and that can see you heart to heart. And so that is what I, I am committed to is just creating family and community and, and just seeing each other heart to heart. That's my mission. Mm -hmm. I will include all of your shit in the show notes. Thanks. Okay. And but I, I want to ask one question, Andrea, yeah. what are you going to do with this date? How are you going to show up? <laughs> I'm going to show up as me. Yeah. Cause the right person is just going to love you and all of you. And you do bring a lot to the table, a lot of heart, a lot of soul, a lot of, 
but there's something so beautiful about that. And, and the right person is going to go, damn, I got really lucky. I already told him that. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you allow him to show up for you and that you can share some of your triggers as I did with Michael, because I'm telling you, it helped me. And I speak to this all the time. It helped me calm my nervous system because I was so used to chaos Mm -hmm. and I had to get used to feeling calm. And sometimes I felt like I was climbing the walls. I'd have to be honest, Mm -hmm. but he kept coming back and he kept holding me. And I'm, there's nothing like feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And, and, And that's the thing is most people don't understand. That's what relationships are is feeling safe to be yourself to be loved, to know that that person's choosing you and you give that to them as well. And so that's what I would, I just safety. And I know that's not sexy, but it truly is very sexy. Mm. Well, this is so beautiful. Thank you for your time. We're so, so glad our All paths right. crossed too. So grateful. So thankful. Well, that wraps up today's episode as always. I hope you heard something that could help you on your own journey As always, I know that you did. And as always, seek help immediately if you did not. Um, Thanks again to Carly for an amazing episode. Go check out the show notes to find all of her shit. Um, What else? I don't have anything for you folks. I need to go work on getting this community up and running. (laughs) It's like a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. But again, I'm super excited. We're taking over the world. Shit show. Shit show nation is taking over the world. One shit show at a time. Um, I will see you all next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Chat. It's going to be super super vulnerable, super excited, very hit. It's going to be, I got a, I promise. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.